listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined the show. For four years, we had a president whose policies on immigration and border crossing were absolutely retrograde, almost to the point of being medieval. So how does a new Democratic president transition from a policy that was defined by cruelty and racism to one that's more compassionate, yet still effective at controlling a difficult situation. My next guest says that, at least politically, President Biden's choice on the issue is lose-lose. The weak columnist Shikadalmia says he's going to get blasted for whatever decisions he makes, whatever they are. So he might as well focus on doing what's right. Chica, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. It's been a while. Yes, it has been a while. Uh, And I've been following uh, a lot of your social media postings about this immigration issue as we've gotten into the early months of the Biden administration. And I've been really interested at your take on, on these things. So I'm really glad you're here to share this with our listeners Let's start um, with what we spent the first part of our show talking about today. We're talking about profiling by the Border Patrol here in Michigan. Uh, You say you've had your own experience with profiling on the northern border. Uh, Let's start with you just telling our listeners what that was like. Uh, Well, you know, uh, Stephen, uh, I lived in West Bloomfield, Michigan, for almost 18 years, uh, and Michigan actually for about 30 years, just recently moved to D.C., and uh, given that the Canadian border, uh, you know, is we share a Canadian border uh, in Detroit, uh, I have friends and family in Toronto where whom I would visit, you know, a few times a year. And, uh, and you know, my husband, who is, uh, uh, you know, white and uh, uh, not a naturalized American with an accent like me, um, you know, he and I would drive together. And so we conducted a little mini experiment of our own uh, where sometimes he would drive, uh, he would be in the driver's seat when we crossed the border and sometimes I would be in the driver's seat. And it's a completely unscientific uh, experiment, but it would invariably be the case that, uh, you know, since he's uh, a wife without an accent, he would get pulled over for that secondary inspection far less frequently than if I were in the driver's seat. So after, you know, like a few years of this, we just made it standard policy to have him drive rather than me when we cross the border. I mean, it's no big deal. But it does kind of like show you, uh, you know, there's definitely if you're an immigrant and if you speak with an accent uh, and if you have brown skin, you know, those are three strikes against you. And, uh, you know, you may be targeted because maybe you are crossing illegally one way or the other. So, yeah, uh, uh, yeah so that, that sort of. Uh, we at least have some anecdotal evidence for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you say it's not a huge deal and you just adapt and have the person who's white drive the car instead of the person who's non-white. But, I mean, there is a there is a infringement on liberty there that I think is is important. The idea that if you are here and here legally, that you should not have to fear the kind of questioning or even harassment that uh, that Border Patrol 
uh, directs at at people it thinks are uh, are here illegally, and the way that it deduces who's here illegally or not is pretty crude and quite racialized. I mean, those are things that that I you know look as an African American. I mean, there are all kinds of things that I've adapted in my life to avoid trouble with authorities, but I, I guess I don't think they're not a big deal. I think that they are kind of central to to the narrative about equality and inequality and how it plays out in our country. Yeah, no, I, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, that's completely right. I mean, you know, at some level, you sort of internalize uh, that, you know, this is reasonable, that what's happening is kind of reasonable, even mm-hmm. though it's not reasonable. Uh, you know, you start looking at, uh, you know, the whole thing from sort of the law enforcement standpoint, even when you intellectually, like I do, you know, I'm a libertarian Mm -hmm. and you kind of, you know, you disagree intellectually, but at some level, you know, you start sort of making accommodations for their needs as opposed to your rights. And that's absolutely true. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous because as your previous guest pointed out, the border is now not only at the border, the border has moved 100 miles inland. And most of Michigan now is within this 100 mile zone where uh, Border Patrol can set up checkpoints and stop anyone, right? Mm -hmm. And given the huge minority population in Southeast Michigan, uh, it does mean that if, you know, Border Patrol checkpoints move uh, you know, become what they are, say, in Arizona, where uh, you cross from one city to another sometimes and you have to go through a border checkpoint. Uh, just imagine how many people get uh, profiled, right? I mean, and so it is a huge problem. I just meant that from my standpoint, it felt like an inconvenience that we kind of laughed off and didn't make a huge deal of it. But of course, when it happens systematically on a mass scale to a certain group of people, it is a huge infringement of rights. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about what's going on at the southern border where we see much of the same kind of surge activity that we had seen during the Trump administration. And we see the Biden administration, I think, struggling to get its footing with how to deal with the people who are part of that surge, but also how to craft policy uh, in a way that doesn't punish, you know, kids who are who are part of that surge uh, and doesn't suggest to people that we're not going to welcome immigrants, which was the hard stance of the of the previous administration. But but just give us a quick sense of what your analysis is of that situation at the border and how much blame or credit, I guess, you would give to either President, former President Trump or current President Biden. So, um, you know, first of all, there is this myth out there that there is a crisis at the border brewing. There is no crisis at the border. What there is is a recurring problem at the border mm-hmm. uh, seasonally uh, at this time when uh, it's the, uh, you know, the winter has uh, ended and summer hasn't yet set in and the uh, climate is sort of temperate. There is always a rush from Central America to the United States. It's been going on for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only reason it didn't happen to the extent uh, uh, that it did in previous years last year was because of the pandemic. And, you know, I guess it would be possible to stop this rush if we 
the the Central Americans who are uh, rushing to the United States at that time are essentially escaping gang violence and persecution and also very, very abysmal economic conditions. So if we greet them at the border with the same kind of level of cruelty that they are facing at home, I guess we could stop them from coming from this, you know, recurring problem. But let me just point out, even Trump with his utterly draconian policies was not really able to make a huge dent on the numbers. Uh, these numbers that the Biden administration is, uh, is uh, uh, facing right now have been rising since last April. Mm -hmm. uh, for a few months, they subsided after the pandemic and then they started steadily rising. So it was something like, uh, I have the numbers in my column, something like, you know, 70 thousand uh, in December and now they are over a hundred thousand at this point but even those are misleading and they are misleading because of one policy that Trump enacted and Biden has not reversed uh, when the pandemic uh, happened Biden uh, Trump issued something called title 42 which was an executive order which just meant that anybody who was caught at the border was quickly just sort of sent back deported back either to uh, their country or shoved into Mexico without being processed in any way. So if you were an asylum seeker trying to get, gain entry, you were not accorded your legal right to a hearing. You were simply ejected from the country. Uh, and uh, uh, Biden, even though he, uh, you know, on the first day he was in office reversed, Trump's Muslim ban, the DACA ban, and, you know, all of that, he did not reverse Title 42. And, the, and that's relevant because, because now what's happening is because of Title 42, because people are not processed properly before they are ejected, mm -hmm. they keep trying to re-enter over and over again because re-entry is no longer a felony since they were not processed. They, um, uh, uh, you know, we don't know if their case was a legitimate uh, asylum case, so we can't really hold it against them. And so when they recross, you, so, so, so what this has done is created an incentive for them to repeatedly cross the border. So about 37% of the people who are trying to cross are kind of like repeat offenders. They keep trying to, you know, cross over and over again. And when you... Once you subtract those, actually the border situation is the same as what it was in 2019 at the peak of Trump's cruel policies. Mm. So Biden, he needs to get rid of Title 42. And the reason he's not doing it is he's worried as to what the restrictionists are going to say if he gets rid of Title 42. Sure. And uh, so, you know, so that's kind of the point of my piece. Hey, Biden, you're getting damned uh, either way. The Tom Cottons of the world are already accusing you of creating a border crisis. You may as well do the right thing, get rid of Title 42 and uh, let these people be processed in a proper way. Give them an asylum hearing. Uh, scale up the border resources so that you know they can be treated properly and not cruelly the way Trump was doing, um, and you know take your lumps uh, uh, with the restrictions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as always, uh, the number here on the phones is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. I'm talking with Sheikha Dalmia. She's a columnist with the Week. Has a new column out titled "Biden's Lose Lose Immigration Strategy," taking a look at how badly criticized the president will be no matter what he does uh, with immigration. And so he ought to focus on trying to solve the problem uh, in the right way. 
Uh, we'd love to hear from you during the segment as well. What do you hope to see from the Biden administration on immigration? What's your own assessment on how he's doing so far with this issue at the southern border that uh, we see on the news every day? Um, do you think he's taking the right approach or would you like to see him change either in a more restrictionist uh, direction or in the direction of more open borders. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Um, <clears throat> Sheik, I just want to throw something out here and and um, and see what you what your reaction is to it. What, what if Biden simply tried to, through executive order and perhaps somewhat through Congress, um, you know, tried to craft the long-term sensible uh, approach to immigration that, for instance, passed, uh, uh, passed the, the, the one half of Congress, you know, more than a decade ago. We were so close with that compromise uh, bill and the Obama administration, I think, really botched the politics there and didn't get it done. Um, but but if he's in a lose lose position, why not go for broke in that way uh, and and at least try to settle the issue once and for all? Is that what you're is that what you're sort of thinking of when you when you say that? Yes, uh, actually, absolutely, that is what I'm thinking of. And uh, to Biden's credit, uh, uh, within the first, he had promised that within the first 100 days, he would introduce a comprehensive reform bill. And he has done that. I mean, there is a bill both in the Senate and the House. Uh, and there are many good things in that bill. Um, you know, it does, it goes a very long way to giving relief to immigrants, both at the high-skilled and the low-skilled level, who are stuck in America's broken immigration system. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, if you are an Indian H-1B visa holder, uh, it takes you literally a lifetime to get your uh, green card, if you get it at all, uh, given how backlogged the system is. And he uh, eliminates um, per-country limits on green cards and allows a reallocation of green cards from countries that are not using them to those that are, which would really give a lot of relief. He's even got a program in there where if you're a low-skilled worker and you've clocked a certain number of working hours in the United States, you could uh, apply for a green card, which you are currently not able to do on that visa. And so he, there are many, many elements in that bill. The other good thing about the bill is that it actually is choose a border enforcement approach. So it's not, it's not you know, trying to build walls. It's not trying to increase border patrolling. It's not, it doesn't want to build boats with crocodiles to stop illegals from coming into the country. It is choose all of that. It actually fixes, it, uh, focuses on fixing our broken system. The trouble with it is it's only focused on those in the country. It's not offering new uh, legal options for Central American migrants and uh, Mexican migrants to come here. And that is very, very significant because currently, in fact, if you look at the numbers of the people who are trying to come to the United States, uh, it was for the last like six or seven or 10 years, it was the case that Mexican men had stopped coming because economic conditions in Mexico had improved. So they didn't really need to come to the United States for jobs. 
in the current crop of uh, uh, you know border crossings that we are seeing actually the mexican numbers are up which means that if you want to avoid sowing uh, a future undocumented problem you have to create legal avenues for mexican workers to come to this country this was not a liberal idea this was a conservative idea in the obama reform bill that you mentioned there were republicans who wanted generous guest worker visa programs with uh, mexico uh, at that time but that's sadly absent from the biden bill and he really needs to like think about opening opening those if he wants to really get a handle on this problem yeah Okay, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about immigration with Sheikha Dalmia of the week. Uh, We also will get your calls and comments. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really, really glad you have joined us. Uh, my guest is Sheikha Dalmia. She's a columnist with The Week. She has a new column out titled Biden's Lose-Lose Immigration Strategy, talking about the tough choices the new president faces with immigration reform and the fact that he probably can't make people happy doing any of the things that uh, need to be done, so he might as well kind of go for broke and try to solve the problem in a grand sense, which is something that we have seen presidents fail to do for some time now. We'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you think of the way that the Biden administration has handled immigration so far? What do you think of these stories that we see from the southern border about uh, people crossing in in big numbers and uh, children crossing uh, by themselves? Uh, How do you think the Biden administration has handled that issue and how would you like to see them handle not just that issue but again the broader issue uh, going forward as always the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019 that's 577-1019 you can also go to the wdt facebook page put comments there go to twitter and hashtag detroit today and we'll try to include you in the program that way let's go to ali and dearborn welcome to the show hi how are you good how are you Good. Thank you for the great conversation. I agree with a lot of the points that you and the guests have made. I'm calling just to make one comment with regards to your conversation on um, how authority uh, interacts with folks of different race and color. And I wanted to indicate that, you know, I've had the background of of being um, in three different continents, ultimately landing on the soil here in the USA. And that really helps with your diversity and ability to, you know, appreciate and absorb the different cultures and perspectives people have. I just think in America, most Americans are limited and, and don't have that broad vision. And I think it's really it's incumbent on the individual to um, be as flexible and try to put themselves in other people's shoes. And that's such a difficult thing to do. I'm not trying to give an out here to authorities, but I think many of us of, of different race and color and creed have experienced it and we got our ways of dealing with it. And I don't get upset at folks like that. I just think it's uh, limited knowledge and ignorance and we have an obligation to help bring them on board to understand that what makes us different is our heart and mind. Mm. 
Uh, Ali, I really appreciate the call and the thoughts there. Uh, that's a really interesting take on all of this. Sheikha, I wonder if you can talk just a little about the cultural dynamics surrounding immigration and the changing demographics of this country, which I think is a really separate issue from the politics in Washington or even from the policy that comes out of that politics. We still have a lot of, I think, cultural uh, a change that, that we need to, to kind of indulge at this point and, and really lean into because the country is changing so fast. Right. And uh, so, yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. The shifting demographics um, also means that you, you know, they generate a great deal of cultural anxiety on the part of uh, the native population that sees things around them changing. Uh, to some extent, that's understandable. Um, you know, when you have your neighborhoods that have had a certain character for a very long time, uh, you know, kind of change in front of your eyes. Uh, I can imagine that uh, that is a difficult thing to accept. On the other hand, uh, as your caller mentioned, this kind of, you know, the diversity uh, that America has um, also is a great, great strength of this country. It also contains within, it, within itself the seeds of cultural renewal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you get new ways, your uh, new ideas get injected, uh, you know, and uh, they help uh, uh, regenerate the culture of the, uh, you know, of the host country for the immigrants. It also allows immigrants to shed some of their uh, less than, uh, you know, uh, savory ways sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, just from personal experience, caste system in India is, uh, you know, very much more pronounced in India than it is within immigrants, uh, Indian immigrants who are over here. I mean, caste is just not that much uh, an issue. I'm not saying it's no issue at all, but it's something that, you know, you get exposed to America's very non-hierarchical, egalitarian cultural ethos, and it forces you to rethink your own ways. And so it's in some ways immigration, the uh, you know, sort of the openness and the sifting of various uh, cultural habits allows, in my view, for a better culture to emerge. But of course, not everybody sees it that way. Yeah. And I think that's, in, that's one of the things that I, I am quite critical of the Biden administration on is that, you know, they're still very much playing defensive on the, on the narrative about immigrants. They are very much still playing with the, you know, restrictionist line that uh, immigrants are somehow not uh, assets that they are somehow liabilities for the country, and so we are going to be more generous towards immigrants, but we are still going to limit how many you know sort of come in now you know I am much more inclined to having uh, very very generous uh, policies opening up the borders mm -hmm. with very few restrictions, but even if you are going to uh, restrict immigration uh, restrict the numbers they it, you still have to make the case for why immigration is a net asset for the country. Now, Canada, by the way, has made that switch. I mean, there, they, you know, officially there is sort of a pro-immigration, pro-immigrant narrative that's still lacking in uh, among politicians, even liberal politicians in America. And I think that is a big problem 
uh, in one of my pieces, I think in the same piece uh, that you are featuring, I do actually mention that that's, you know, if there is a failure on the part of the Biden administration, mm-hmm. it is a failure to change the terms of the narrative on immigration. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Sheikha Dalmia with The Week. Her new column is titled Biden's Lose-Lose Immigration Strategy. Always great to have you here with us uh, on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining. Always a pleasure, Stephen. Yes. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. I am actually headed to get my second dose of the Pfizer vaccine this afternoon. And that means that uh, I'm going to take a day tomorrow to be away from Detroit today. Uh, Jake Neer, our senior producer, is going to sit in instead. Uh, he is going to have a conversation about the state of child care nationally and here in Michigan and whether or not the possibility of federal assistance could provide relief in this sector. And then I will be back on Wednesday. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.